somebody says father or dad, we all have a reference point because we all have had a father or a dad. And that reference point is usually what first indicates how we look at God. But I have to tell you, none of us have ever had a perfect father in the natural. But we do now. And that father is all loving. He is all caring. He is all powerful. He's all knowing. He is merciful to a thousand generations. He is gracious to all. And that's where we have to choose to make some adjustments in our reference point of what we think about when we hear that. You know, this morning when I was, I was uh, singing that song, I knew we were going to sing it this morning, and I, I really appreciate that song. Uh, and at that moment, it was one of those, because I had a really good father, a really good dad. I still have a really good father, a really good dad. He's, he's with our Heavenly Father. And yet, as good as he was to me and to my brother, our Heavenly Father is so much more. And I am so grateful that I experienced what I did, but I am, I am so grateful for the gift that my Heavenly Father is to me every day. Every day. And, and we need to realize that, that God is there. God cares. God wants to cause your life to be abundant. That's why he sent Jesus. Tomorrow was talking about the great gift, the sacrifice for love that God gave of his son. And that gift of his son was given so that our sin would be taken care of, removed. We could have a pathway back to relationship and fellowship with our father. And in doing that, Jesus willingly sacrificed himself for us, and all of that was to make our lives better than they could ever be, no matter how hard we tried, no matter how long we worked, no matter how much we got. It's because of what God can do that is exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Isn't God so good? God is great, and God is good. And we should thank him not just for our food, but for everything every day. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, this morning, I think, so much for my thinking, I think that this may be the last installment of uh, what we've been looking at from before this year started, uh, which is about the scripture in Micah 6, 8, where, where the prophet Micah writes as God is directing him, uh, and says, the Lord has told you what is good. He's told you what he wants from you. And again, we know that God, God only asks things from us, not to get from us, but to get to us. If we'll release something, the Bible tells us, whatever you hold on to, you'll lose. But whatever you'll release, you'll, you'll lose, you'll gain. And God doesn't want us holding on to anything except him. Because anything that we hold on to except for God is going to hinder us from receiving all God has for us. So in essence, we're robbing ourselves of everything God is willing and able to provide for us. And so he's asking us to do these things. This is what he wants from us because he wants more for us. And here's what he wants from us. This is what he wants from you, to do what is right to other people. Again, this is a big thing. We need to be doing this every day because we live in a world that is 
countercultural to this. Uh, people aren't doing what's good to each other. But we, no matter what anybody else does, we need to show the goodness of God to all people because the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads them in repentance, turning around from running their own lives and wrecking their own lives to turning to trust in Christ where he can rule and reign, guard and govern and guide them, and they can begin to experience that abundant life that Jesus came to give. He's told us to love being kind to others. And then the last part is what we've really concentrated on because it's, it's what we have to do every day. Live humbly obeying your God. Live humbly obeying your, your God. We've realized that humility is not a natural part of human beings' lives because we are, we are subject to pride. Pride, selfishness, self-interest, self-centeredness. Uh, we, we consider self before anything else until we get the opportunity to be freed from that self as we serve God. And so to humbly obey your God, live humbly obeying your God. And it's not just a Sunday morning thing, right? It could be. It could be a Sunday and a Monday, and then we forget it by a Tuesday, and we go on with our lives, and then we have this rude awakening on Saturday that Sunday's coming. And uh, we got we to make some adjustments before we go to the house of the Lord. Because, you know, if I go in there, the roof might fall in. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And I think, really? But that's, you know, jokingly said, but there's some sort of truth that people hold on to when they say that. God is a God that is waiting, not with a stick, but with open arms to receive us because he knows how damaging living in this fallen world is and how desperate we are for what he freely wants to give us. But we have to be humble enough to recognize we need what God has. We need who God is. And it would be one thing if we, we needed what God had and, and needed who he was, and he was like, well, maybe, if you're good enough, if you're holy enough, no. It's based on love and mercy and grace. And, and so we've been looking at this, learning about humility and how important that is and how we need to make some adjustments, realignments in our life because this isn't something that we naturally come by until we come to Christ. And then the God who is a God of humility, Jesus showed humility throughout his life, that that, that begins to be available to us, but we have to recognize we need what's beyond us and what God is freely and fully making available to us, but won't force on us. And so as we humble ourselves, then God begins to work in our lives because until he gets the okay from us, he's not going to do anything. That's why not everybody's not saved. Who did Jesus die for? Everyone, everyone. But is everyone going to be saved? No. Why? Because there's freedom of choice. God will never force anything, no matter how good he is. You know, I, I, I used to say, God, why don't you just make everybody saved and we'll get this taken care of? 
And he said, I did all that I am to do. Now it's up to you to choose. Choose this day. Choose tomorrow. Choose who is going to be Lord of our lives. And once we allow him in, we still have to make the choice of allowing him to guide us, allowing him to govern us, allowing him to guard us, or we take it on ourselves and he won't interrupt us trying our best, which is going to get us less than the best. And all of that humility that needs to come into our lives is for a purpose because we know that the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. We sing about grace. And a lot of people, when they think of grace, they think about praying over a meal. That's what I thought of when I was a kid. Let's say grace. Okay. God is great. God is good. And I thank him for his food. Hurry up. Let's eat. But, but it was something that I could say, but it wasn't something that was tangible and powerful and impacting and life-changing, and yet that's what it is. Now, a lot of times we see in the Bible that different translations translate grace as the favor of God, and it is the favor of God, but it's much more than favor because if it's just favor, I can favor you and never do anything for you, never make your life different. And so the grace of God is something that absolutely impacts our life. And we've been looking at this grace and seeing about grace and how powerful it is. And today we're going to look at five facets, five aspects of grace. And um, I, I just believe that this is the culmination. It's not the end, but it's the culmination of the part that I have. Uh, you need to continue studying and, and looking at things and, and, and investigating what the Word of God says. But... There are five aspects or five facets, and we realize that grace is all-encompassing, but there are a variety of effects or areas that it, it operates in, and in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 10, it says that as good stewards, now stewards, are they owners? No, a steward is a manager, is someone who has been entrusted with something that somebody else actually owns, all right? So as a good steward of the manifold grace of God, we're supposed to be good stewards. We're supposed to be good managers. We're, we're supposed to be receiving this grace that God has given us, realizing it is God's grace. This, doesn't, this isn't our grace. We don't have the grace. We receive the grace and then give the grace that we receive, okay? I want you to be clear on this. This doesn't become our possession. Again, as stewards, we have the opportunity to recognize who owns it, who is the initiator of this, and we go to the initiator and we receive from him, but we also give what we receive because the Bible says freely we receive and freely we what? Give. That's what the Bible says. Do we live that? Because sometimes it's harder for us to, to live it than to talk it. And it's real easy to receive stuff. Tomorrow was talking about uh, uh, giving. And the Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than receive. And yet we all enjoy receiving. And God says there's another level. And it's the same way with grace. Grace, grace comes to us, but grace needs to come through us to all those around us. Who needs grace today? We all do. But if I look just to get grace for me and I'm not concerned about you, 
then there's going to be a dead zone around me. Okay? There's going to be a zone where God's grace is coming to me, but God's not going to overflow me and waste it if I'm not going to give it out that I'm hindering, I'm going to restrict the flow of grace because that's selfishness, and that selfishness is pride, and God resists the proud. But the moment I recognize I'm, I am a steward, I am one who is entrusted with what God is offering to me to be able to distribute it to somebody else or everyone else I come in contact with. So you and I as Christians, we are distribution points. This is how heaven enters earth. You know, we, we hear about portals and things like that. You're a portal. Think about it. You're a portal. How is heaven connected to earth? Through you. Just like it was through Jesus. Jesus showed earth, human beings, what God and heaven was like. And we have that privilege every day. And yet we get so caught up with all the things going on in this earth and get sidetracked and get, get upset. I, I was explaining to some people before the service started how uh, my walk, I wanted so badly to become a, a member of a church. And the day I joined the church, I became a member, was the last day I wanted to go. And the reason why was, it was really important to me, and it meant a great deal to me, and it was very challenging for me to do what was necessary, not because it was extravagant, but because of my deficiencies and my frailties and my flaws of, of being so uh, painfully shy and stuttering and all these other things. But I had to stand in front of the church with other people and just answer a question or a group of questions that we had already gotten the answers to, but it was it was terrifying to me. Now, you may not understand this, but this is the truth. And you may look at me today and say, well, how could that possibly true, be true? I will tell you it's true because the, the grace of God has been working all these years to be able to accomplish what is going on in my life today. And it's not done. But that day that, that I stood in front of people and did what I did because it meant so much to me and then walked through the doors into the parking lot to see the same people that were were supposedly loving one another and caring about each other and living a life that would reveal God were honking horns at each other and flipping each other off and, and because somebody cut them off and they didn't get out as quick as they wanted and it was like, I told my parents from the back seat, that's it, I'm done. I'm not going back. This is real to me, but it obviously wasn't real to them and I was very judgmental. And I said what a lot of people say, that church is full of hypocrites. Well, it was, but I was being one too. And so, you know, it, 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 was, it was something that I didn't realize, that I, I needed to be a steward. No matter what anybody else did, I needed to be a steward of the mercy, of the love, of the grace of God. And this tells us a steward of the manifold grace of God. Now, some of you work on cars or used to work on cars. They make them really difficult to work on. Not like I've ever worked on them. But uh, there's a thing on a car called a manifold. Does anybody here, can anybody explain what that is? Oh, 
you guys, chicken. Okay, I'll do it the best I can. I'm not obviously a mechanic. I know where the gas goes. I used to know where the key goes, but there are no keys anymore. So now I'm down to one. And uh, a manifold is on, on the engine of the car where the uh, cylinders are. There is something that takes the exhaust that is what really is the power in your car. When, when the gas combusts, it pushes the cylinder down and it causes the crankshaft to go around and the wheels on the bus go around. Uh, but anyways, the, the manifold, I believe, now if I get this wrong, somebody correct me because I don't want people going out with bad information, but it's what it, the exhaust comes out of. But there are, according to the number of cylinders, there are different ports to bring the exhaust out. And it's called a manifold because there are many of these things. Okay, no correction. We're good. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. So there are even more manifolds. There are many manifolds. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And so it's, it's about a variety of the same thing. And what this is telling us is God's grace is varied. There are different aspects. There are different functions of God's grace. And if all we know is one part of the grace, we're missing out on other areas that the grace of God. Now, I've defined the grace of God as the empowering presence of God to cause us to be able to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. There are others out there. Uh, another uh, definition is God's power and ability for whatever it is. And that's a good one, too. But this is talking about the grace in many different aspects that impact our life. And we need to know it because if we're ignorant about something, our ignorance is going to cost us. It's where the enemy can operate. It's where he can rob us. And today we're going to look at this. One other scripture about the, the variety of the grace of God is John 1.16 in the Amplified Bible uh, a portion of it says, for out of his fullness, abundance, we have all received, all have had shared, we have all, we were all supplied with one grace after another, one grace after another. So there are graces that build on each other, all right? And, and we're going to see this. We're going to see that there is an, an initial grace that we can't avoid to be able to fast track to another grace. How many of you know sometimes we don't want to do things in order? Oh, come on. We, we, we sometimes see, oh yeah, that's what I want, and we go straight for it, and God has an order. God's a God of order. The enemy is, an enemy, is, is a, a, a purveyor of disorder or chaos. And God took chaos and made it orderly. God wants to bring order to our lives because when there's order, it increases capacity. All right? So John 1.16 tells us that we are all supplied with one grace after another. Now, again, we think, well, why isn't everybody saved? Because we know, we, most of us know the scripture about grace. We're saved by, through and it is, right, it's not by works. It's a gift from God so that none of us can boast. Our beginning in God 
is never an opportunity for us to think how great we are. It's always to think how great he is. And if our life in the kingdom and our relationship with God is restored through humility, receiving grace, recognizing we need something that's beyond us, then I want you to know the track across the board, every area, every aspect, every avenue of the kingdom is that way. It's never that anyone should ever take credit and say, look what I did. God will use us, but we need, we need above all people, we need to recognize what God just did. He deserves the glory for. And if we could do it without him, then it's real easy for us to get puffed up in pride. But we need to realize no matter what it is, whatever it is we think we did, we got this great job because we got a great education, because we studied so hard, God gave you the brains. You just filled them. You did your part, he did his part. When was the last time you said, I want some more brains? I've said that often, but it's never happened. And God said, just fill the ones that you got. Use what I've given you. I've given you everything you need, everything that pertains to life and godliness. I've given it to you. So don't take credit for what I did, but do your part in what needs to be done. And today we're going to look. We're going to look at these five facets of grace. And it's, they're very important, and we need to grow in these. We need to apply ourselves to, to remembering these areas because the grace of God is available, but God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. We need to always walk in humility so the grace keeps flowing, and we don't stop it up. But before we do, let's pray. If you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for Holy Spirit who is our teacher. He leads us and guides us into all truth. He reminds us of your word. He empowers us to serve. But Father, we thank you today that you have a word for us, a now word. A word that can really transform our lives. And Father, I pray that each person here would hear what you have to say to them. Not everything said is for them, but something is. And Father, I ask you to use me to speak your word. It is a privilege and an honor and a blessing to be able to speak your word to the people you love so that we will grow in your knowledge and your grace. And so, Father, I pray for transformation today. I pray for healings today because your word is life and health. I pray for freedom not to be able to do what we want to do but what you have for us to do because that's what we were created for because your word is truth and sets us free i pray for life to abound and your kingdom to be revealed and your son to be lifted up and i thank you father for this in jesus name and everyone said well along with this in 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 uh uh First Peter 4.10, there was another translation I just wanted to give you a little insight into. The J.B. Phillips translation talks about the grace of God being the magnificently varied grace of God. It is magnificently varied. There are so many aspects to it. And like I said, we're going to talk about five today. Um, the grace of God 
is referred to as the grace of life when it's applied to, to husband and wife, the greatest relationship that is an example of our relationship with God. That's what it's supposed to be, but it oftentimes falls far short because we're not, we're not living as husband and wife, as spouses, the way God intended. God intended as a husband for me to love my wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I used to be, you know, just so glad that I didn't have a whole chapter in the Bible like you ladies do in Proverbs <laughs> where it tells about a godly wife. But then all of a sudden I'm drawn to this and see I've got to love my wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. My, my relationship with my wife is supposed to be so selfless so loving, so sacrificial that everything I do makes her life better. But you know what? That's what wives are supposed to do for husbands. And if, if our relationship with God is seen in relationships of husband and wife, then our relationships to each other ought to be selfless and sacrificial and serving. And you know, if we really did rise up to this and live this way, the world would beat down the doors of the buildings that the church is, the church is meeting in. They would beat a path to our doorway to talk to us about Jesus, to hear about him. But that's where we need the grace of God to be able to live the way God has for us to live, to be what God has for us to be and do what God has for us to do. It's not about our effort. It's not about our excellence. It's about our humbly depending on and trusting in God. And so the first facet, this is the entryway, the gateway into the kingdom. This grace is the initial grace that has to happen in our lives. And if it doesn't, then none of the rest of the graces are available aspects of grace are available but it's saving grace in ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 it says for by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not of yourselves it's a gift it's a gift of god and what what, what do we need for any gift to become ours what do we have to do we have to receive it there's a, a there's a degree of humility in receiving. Have you ever had somebody come and, and offer to give you something you were like, oh no, oh no, 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 I, I'm okay. Oh no, no, I, I, I can take care of myself. <laughs> I want you to understand, none of us can take care of ourselves. And those of us that try do a really poor job. Well, how can you say that about me? That's pride. That's pride rising up. Understand, God's resisting that. When we really come to the reality of what we can accomplish versus what God can accomplish, it humbles us to say, this almighty God, creator of the universe, wants to offer me everything he is, everything he has, and everything he can do. Why would I say no? Because I'm deceived. Because I have pride. Because I want to try to somehow prove myself to God and warrant that he gives me what he freely gives me. Which would put some onus on me and say, look what I did. And that pride will cause the grace of God to stop flowing. 
It's not of works lest anyone should boast. If we make a boast, if we boast in anything, the Bible says make your boast in the Lord. Why? Because really behind everything good in our life, every breakthrough, every blessing, every battle won, it's God. And if we don't see him, that's our fault. Because the reality is with God, all things are possible, but with man, nothing's possible. And so this saving grace, Titus 2.11, it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's appeared to all men. But again, not all men are going to be saved because you have to be humble enough to recognize you can't take care of yourself. You can't, I can't, no one can save themselves. But God being loving, he won't force himself on us. And so this, this saving grace is God's power and ability that we receive through humility that rescues us. Rescues us who are dead in our trespasses and sins, rescues us from the pride that has run our lives even though we didn't know it, rescues us. It's the beginning of us entering into a new way of living, and it's by the grace of God. And it's because we recognize, I need who God is and what God has. And then the second group, aspect or facet of grace is sanctifying grace. Now, you, you may say, well, you know, I, I've heard of that word, but I don't really know it. Sanctifying uh, is, is really, it's about um, making someone holy or pure or blameless. Um, sanctifying is a process. We are saved, but we're to walk out our salvation, all right? We're walking it out because you know, we're saved. Our spirit is alive to God. But how many of you know we don't do everything that God wants? You know, you guys are afraid to tell on yourself. None of us do. Man, we do all sorts of stuff and people are like, you're a Christian? Really? But there is a takeover that's happening. It's not a hostile takeover. It's a loving takeover because we give over to God. And we give over areas of our life. We give our life to God. And then it's a process. The rest of our lives in this earth, during this part of life, we're giving over areas of our life because we hold things back from God. And anything we hold back from God is the perfect place for the enemy to start to work. And so this, this sanctifying grace is God's power and ability to cleanse us and mature us and keep us from being contaminated in a world that is full of sin and grow in Christ's character. Every one of us need this. And not just on Sunday, we need this every day. Because we encounter things out there in our daily lives that are meant by the enemy to destroy us, to take us down, to rob us. In 2 Peter 3.18, this isn't going to be up there, but it tells us to grow in the grace of God, to grow in this grace. This grace helps us to grow. It's, it's part of what helps cause us to begin to be transformed and, and become more conformed to the image of the Son. Titus 2.12, we, we just read Titus 2.11. Titus 2.12, the next verse says, 
teaching us. This is what the grace of God, the grace of God teaches us, is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. How many of you think it's easy to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age? Man, I'm telling you, it's impossible without the grace of God. Because we tend to be reactionary people. When I say that, you just have to think to different areas of your life where somebody does something and we react. My area, one of my areas, tends to be driving. Right, Bob? Heard about Bob before service. Bob and I are a lot alike. <laughs> but but that's, where, that's where I... I don't own my life. I've given my life to the Lord because I wanted him to be Lord of my life. But I take it back and I do what I want to do or what I feel like doing or what I just react in doing. And that's not making Jesus Lord of my life. And I say to God, God, I can't help it. These, these people are idiots. I'm being honest with you. And I shouldn't say that because they're loved by God and I should love them. They should just be off my street. Some of you are like, I didn't know you were such an egomaniac. I am no different than you. All right? We're all in this process. Trying to make progress, but it's not by our might or by our power. It's by His Spirit. And Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of grace. And so in this moment... The grace of God teaches us. How many of you know teaching is a process? Some of you think you know it all. But what you learn after you think you know it all is what's really important. And so it teaches us to be able to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. When that comes to us, we're like, we get drawn. And the grace of God is able to help us not take the bait. It's not about our power. It's about his power, his power and ability in us. Some of us, we can't say no to anything. And we've got to start learning how to do it. And we can't do it in ourselves, but we can do it in God. Because we don't know what to say no to and what to say yes to. In the EV, ERV translation, it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Godly in this present age. It's so important, church, that we live in this present age in a way that reveals the kingdom of God. That the grace of God empowers us for pe when people look at us and they say, how... How did you do that? Christ in me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the grace of God. God working in human, flawed, frail, fragile, failing vessels that he show, shows forth his power. I, I'm not sure if that's the ERV, but I'm going to read it out of what I've got up here. It teaches us not to live against God and not to do the bad things that the world wants us to do. It teaches us to live on earth now 
in a wise and right way, a way that shows our true devotion to God. That's what we're supposed to be doing every day. We're supposed to be living in a way that people see our true devotion to God, to one who is love. And then 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, who is like a son in the faith, and he says, I thank Christ Jesus who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly, now look at this, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. And another translation says a violent man. And, and Paul was. Paul was a very violent man. This is what he was. But it says, I obtained mercy and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. What happened? This is who Paul was. And Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. There was a real transformation in Paul's life. When he was Saul and what he became as Paul, there was a difference in him. And people saw it. It was very easy to identify. There should be a difference in our life because of the grace of God. If somebody says, Jesus is my Lord, but there's no change in their life, then he's not being allowed to be Lord of their life. So you might say, is he saved? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But the Bible tells us you'll know them by their fruit. I also know that no one knows the heart of man except for God. And so we're going to look at some people and, and we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be like, what are you doing here? And they're going to be like, I was going to ask you the same question. <laughs> and there are going to be people that we expect to be there that aren't because they lived a really good morally life. But it wasn't by the grace of God. It wasn't for the glory of God. It was just something they chose to do. And, and they did a pretty good job of it. But it's not about our effort. It's not about what we can boast about. This is about boasting on God, making our boast in God. Mercy and grace have been called the dynamic duo of the Bible. Because mercy, when, when Paul was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, now, you can fill in three other blanks there for what your life was. But understand, what your life and my life was isn't what God has for it to be. There is a change. There's a transformation. And it's a supernatural work of the grace of God, of the sanctifying grace of God. We should be making progress. We should be leaving behind the old man and the old ways. And we should be putting on the new man that is renewed in righteousness and true holiness, the Bible says. We should be becoming more like Jesus every day if we're allowing the grace of God because we're humble enough to recognize I need God working in me. And God, I welcome you, and I know it's not just a you do it, but it's a partnership, and so if you tell me to get rid of some of these things, I'm going to get rid of them. And I can't do it just on my own, so am I trusting you to empower me and enable me to do this? Because that's where the power comes from. It comes from him. And the grace of God gives us what we don't deserve and can't get on our own. Mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. And grace gives us 
what we don't deserve and can't get on our own. That's why there's a dynamic duo. If we were just not getting what we deserved, we'd be far short of what God intended. And if we didn't have any mercy and we were getting what we deserved, it'd be terrible. And so this is where he received mercy and the grace of the Lord was exceedingly abundant. Thank God for his exceeding abundance. Because that's what gives us the life we have. The third, the third grace is strengthening grace or, or victorious grace. It's God's power and ability to overcome. Uh, it leads us into victory. You know, that's where we, we read about Paul and Paul said, uh, you know, take this away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. All right. My grace is sufficient. And, and in your weakness, God said, my strength is made full. My strength is made perfect. But how many of us are really prone to recognizing and acknowledging and owning our weaknesses? Do you know what we tend to do with weaknesses, with frailties, with flaws, with failures? We tend to ignore them like they don't, don't exist. If I don't look at it, it's not there. What if David did that with Goliath? He'd die. And we experience death in our lives when we choose to ignore things that are there that need to be addressed, need to be considered, but not considered just us. You know, that giant's awful big. I can't take him down. As a matter of fact, his brother beat me last week. There's no giant that's ever taken God down. And that's what David said. The God who gave me the lion and bear is going to give me this giant. His reference point wasn't him, it was God. Your reference point can never be you because you'll always come up short. I always come up short when I look at me. And it puts pressure on me and I start to scramble and get all stressed out. And that's where I've learned I can't look at me. I'm aware of where my deficiencies are. I'm not ignorant of it and I'm not denying it. But in that, I acknowledge it and immediately look at God who will strengthen me if I'll be humble enough to go to him and say, God, you know what? I'm not able to do this. I don't, I don't. But I know you can. And I know that you'll partner with me. You want to partner with me to be able to help me to be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror through Christ. See, it's through Christ. This, this, this strengthening grace or victorious grace you know, sometimes we don't, we think we can handle the little things just like Israel thought they could handle the city of Ai. And, and it was a rude awakening and it was at great cost. And the same thing happens with us. God never intended us to handle any of this on our own. Romans 5, 17. We looked at this before, but again, I'm trying to put this in context. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Abundance of grace. Here we are, abundance of grace again. And the gift of righteousness will reign in life. What is it that you want to face the next time that you don't want to reign in? 
I know, obvious question, but it really, we need to think about that. I want to reign in everything. I want to face whatever is out there, whatever's in my path. I don't want to go around it. I want to go through it. I want to go over it. I want to have victory. And I don't want to be overwhelmed by it. But the only way that's going to happen is as I look to God and realize, God, I'm not enough in this, but us together are. And it's not a defeatist attitude, I can't do anything. I used to think that of myself, because that's what I was told by other people. But then I began to study and, and realize, the scriptures told me, I can do all things through Christ. When I face something that's beyond me, it's not beyond God. It's not too big for God. It's never too big for God. It's never too complex. It's never overwhelming to God, but it oftentimes is overwhelming to me. So if I'm going to be able to have a victory, it's because of the victory that God brings into my life through his grace, his empowering presence to be what he has for me to be and do what he has for me to do. I can't be holy as he's holy on my own efforts. I keep falling down. And I can't do what God's called me to do. Every Sunday this happens. And this is, this is and I've told this to a lot of you, this is, this is a miracle. And I realize this is a miracle. This is a miracle of the grace of God. But I had to be willing to come to this place and say, all right, God, you can use me. And it's with fear and trembling at times. Most of the time. You don't throw up anymore. <laughs> Makes it a whole lot cleaner. But it's the grace of God that strengthens to be able to overcome something that is difficult or terrifying or unfamiliar or uncomfortable. And how many times are we un, in unfamiliar situations and uncomfortable and, and seemingly unable? It's every day, and that's why we need the strengthening grace of God. His power and his ability to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. Because the reality is, God's call on you, God's path for you is not doable by you. None of us can do this. Because in its design, it's designed to be done not by you or me alone. It's designed for us to walk together with God down this path, just like Jesus did to the cross. And stood there and said, Father, oh, Father, please, if this cup can pass away, let it pass away. God, I can't do this, and I don't want to do this. You know, God will even help you with your want-tos. Because he knows that if we're just obedient, that's not going to cut it. The Bible says the willing and obedient eat the best of the land. Sometimes we have to go to God and say, help me with my want-to. And then it's an adjustment on our part. And the grace of God helps us in that to adjust to say, you know what? I really do want to. I want what God has because what God has is best. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, or chapter 2, it says, You therefore, my son, be strong. 
again, he's writing to Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Why was Paul saying that to Timothy? Timothy was pastoring one of the biggest churches. He, he pastored at the church of Corinth. And, and it was a church that the apostle Paul said to him, you come behind no other churches in anything. But there was a lot of problems in that church, and Timothy was a new minister. And, and so Paul's telling him, you have to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You, you can't do this in you. But you can do it. This is what I have for you. This is the path. This is the, the plan I have for you, your life. This is the purpose I have for your life. And it's going to be overwhelming if you look at it in yourself, but you're not by yourself. And don't try and do it on your own because that's pride. But recognize that there are flaws and frailties. There are areas that are fragile in your life and, and you've even failed in. But my grace, in your weakness, my grace works best. My power works best in weakness. My grace is sufficient. Be strong in that grace. Why? Verse 3 tells us you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, you don't hear this often. You won't hear this in a lot of places that there are challenges that are going to come to your life. Jesus, one of his promises are, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. In this world, you'll have tribulation. That's what he said. Paul said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. In this world, you'll have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So he's, he's not causing us to be blindsided. He's setting us up to recognize there are going to be tough things coming. Right here, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, you're going to be like a soldier for Jesus Christ. All of us are in an army. Now, if you aren't sure what that means, watch the news. Look at the Ukraine. See what's going on there. Is this, an, is this a war they started? Is this a war they wanted? Is this a war they want to win? And what are they willing to do? Yeah, they're, they're willing to do it all. They're willing to make sacrifices, go through hardship, because winning that war is so important to them. Now, there are some winning that war isn't that important, so they're leaving. Now, I'm not finding fault with anybody, but I'm going to tell you something. In the war that we're in, you can't run far enough to get out of. There's no escaping this war that's in this world. And instead of running from it, we need to stand and face it and fight and overcome. And the only way that happens is by the grace of God. And we stand knowing that this is overwhelming to us. But our reference point is not us. It's not overwhelming to the God that's with us that he will give you the victory. 
but he's not going to give it just like poof. There's a battle. There's a fight, a good fight. The Bible says a good fight of faith. And I don't know about you. I don't know anybody here. I've had fights in my life. I was not always a choir boy. And I can tell you there's only one kind of fight that was ever good. The one I won. And whatever fight that I won, there was always bruises and bumps and bangs and all sorts of things that, that came along with that fight. But the more the bumps, the more the bruises, the more the bangs, the more the blood, the bigger the celebration when the victory came. Now, maybe I'm just nuts. But I'm telling you, there's a big celebration coming to the church. And the ones that are going to celebrate the most are the ones that paid the most. That didn't run from the fight, ran to the fight. Because they trusted in the grace of God. In the presence of God. In the provision of God. In the power of God. In the plan of God. That God working in us. And God working through us. Would cause us to overcome. And show others it's possible. next grace is serving grace. Serving grace. Have you noticed the pattern here? The S's? Saving grace, sanctifying grace, strengthening grace, and now serving grace. These are the best words I could figure out to use, so it's just what I can do. If you want to use another term, go ahead. But this is God's grace. This isn't found in the Bible as far as the You'll see a heading, serving grace of God or, or uh, sanctifying grace. But these are, are areas that I can see. And I, I, I'm, I'm studying, I'm always studying to learn more. But this serving grace is God's grace, his ability and power to be a, of assistance and help to others and to bring glory to God. When you serve somebody, they should know it's because of Christ. And the glory should go back to him. It's, it's sometimes hard for us. But again, in 1 Peter 4.10 in the ERV, God has shown you his grace in many different ways. So be good servants and use whatever gift, the, the grace gift, he has given you in a way that will best serve each other. In a way that will best serve each other. Because we're in this world and we struggle with a lot of things, one of them being selfishness, there is a need to break free of selfishness, and it's only done through the grace of God. Romans 12, 4 through 6, and I'm running out of time, so I apologize to you, but we're going to get through this. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having then gifts differently, differing according to the grace of God that is given to us, use them. Now, you heard, heard Tamara uh, make a plug for the rangers, those that help our special needs children. There is a need right now in every area in this church. And I will tell you that nationwide, I don't know about worldwide, but nationwide, there are more people checking out of not just church, 
but sitting in churches, not being a part of what the church is doing, what the body of Christ is doing, helping to meet the needs. And every one of us have gifts. And God intends us to use those gifts because it's more blessed to give than receive. And yet it's very hard for us to overcome the selfishness that keeps us focused on, well, you know, I don't want to have to do that. I want to tell you, this church, this church has done some of the most amazing things. You walk through the foyer and, and you'll see something in there. If you've ever bothered to look, one plaque in there is called the Spirit of Rome Award. It was given to the people of this church years and years ago when the mayor, the Chamber of Commerce, and the Honor America Days Committee all recognized what this body of believers was like, what they stood for and how they interacted. And they said this and made a plaque. It was the first one, and I don't know if it was the only one, but we've got it. They said to me, we want you to know that the spirit that's on your people, we want that spirit in our city. But I want you to understand this. What it took was nothing less than massive work and sacrifice, but done in love. To, to minister to the city, it's what we do in VBS. I don't know any church that does VBS like we do, and I am prejudiced and biased. But I'm telling you, this church is amazing. When we did walk through Bethlehem, some of you are like, what's walk through we recreated the town of Bethlehem in biblical times for people to walk through at Christmas for them to refocus on what the season is all about. Now, we haven't done that for years because we don't have enough people that are willing to step up and do it. We're about to do another vacation Bible school if we get enough people. See, we can have the greatest vision from God, the greatest direction, but if people won't engage and be a part and be willing to sacrifice and give their time and their talents and their treasures, then we're, we're dead in the water until God brings other people that are willing to do it. And some of us, we've had our kids taken care of by the ministry over there, and now we don't have kids in there, but there are still kids coming to that, and it's time to pay it forward. I, I know this was difficult, but... I had to say it. I need to say it because we have to fight the current of selfishness and self-focus and humbly be willing to lay down our lives for others because that's what real love is. Lastly, and I'm not going to have a lot of time for this, but it's sharing grace. It's God's power and ability to overcome selfishness, just what we've been talking about, pride and meet the needs of others, to show them goodness, the goodness of God, the generosity the goodness of God that leads people to repentance, which is what Romans 2, 4 says. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom through the grace of God, that's not up there, which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Serving God with reverence and, and godly fear. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. It's a grace. It's a grace that paying abundance to flow in our lives. We have to be participants and, and, and 
participating with that. Romans 12, let's see, no, Colossians 4, 6. In the uh, NIV in the message, let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is one that's been very lacking in our society. We as Christians are just saying whatever we want to say, however we want to say it, and thinking we have a right to do it, but we don't. But we'll say whatever we say unless we allow the grace of God, unless we humbly say, God, I'm not sure how to address this. I'm not sure how, how to engage this so that they know I, I don't necessarily align with them, but I'm not rejecting them. It's by the grace of God. Verse 6 in the message says, Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down nor cut them off, which is what we've seen in our society, and it needs to change. The church needs to change. We shouldn't be acting just like everybody else that doesn't know Christ. We should be speaking with grace. Two last scriptures. Ephesians 6.10, it says a final word, and this is going to be a final word. A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And it goes back to what the Apostle Paul was dealing with in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where the Apostle Paul was speaking about the thorn in his flesh. Could we go to that? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, my grace, God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast. We recognize that word boast means to pray to God. I will rather pray to God my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. The power of Christ. The power of Christ. The same power that, that God himself used to raise Christ from the dead, the same power that he created everything seen and unseen, that power is available to you and me every day, but we have to recognize that we don't have enough power to be what God has for us to be and do what God has for us to do, but he's willing and desiring to provide it for us if we're humble enough to recognize he has it and we need it. He's willing to give it. We just have to be humble enough to receive it. Father, I, I thank you. I thank you for every one of your children here. And I pray that we would, we would continue in this race that you have for us. You have said we're to run the race. We're to finish the course. We're to keep the faith. And Father, that race has begun in your grace. And it's continued in your grace. And it's completed in your grace. And Father, I pray right now that each person here would be reminded by Holy Spirit. We would be reminded regularly of the need for humility in our lives and to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow 
Follow the leading of our Lord. Follow the leading of the Spirit, the Spirit of grace. And receive everything like you have said. You've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, but humbly recognize we need to receive before we can give out. And you're the one that gives every good and perfect gift. So, Father, I pray right now that this message would be sealed to our hearts, that it would be an ever-present plumb line for our daily walk and lives in you. That, Father, these five facets of grace we'd be reminded of as we face things that we need saving grace and, and sanctifying grace and strengthening grace and serving grace and sharing grace. Father, we need grace upon grace. And we thank you. We thank you, Father, for the good work that you've begun, that you are faithful to complete. Because you're at work in us, because we invite you and allow you and welcome you to work in us, to will and to do your good pleasure. Thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Would you stand? I want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in and with each one of your children. I thank you, Father, that you have promised them you would never leave them or forsake them. That, Father, you flood them with your love. You flood each one of your children with your life, with your peace, with your hope, with your joy. That, Father, we, we would walk this week out looking to you, listening for you, relying on you and trusting in you and obeying you humbly, living our life in obedience to you. And Father, we would see your kingdom come and your will be done in this earth, in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our church, as it is in heaven. We thank you, Father, for this. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.